This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. This week's guest is Aaron Barrett from Real Big Fish. Uh, dear friend uh, of mine, uh, Real Big Fish and Less Than Jake have done uh, countless tours over the years. Uh, I've known uh, known Aaron for uh, over a quarter century at this point. Uh, every time we go on the road uh, with him and his band, we have an absolute blast. Um, Aaron chose uh, uh, a popular uh, set closing song of Real Big Fish for years, Beer, to discuss today. Uh, and we had a lot to talk about with that. Uh, Aaron talked about how he didn't necessarily think beer was anything special as far as Real Big Fish songs go uh, when he wrote it. Uh, he talked about how the original uh, version of Beer had no horns and how producer Jay Rifkin added horns during the re-recording of it uh, that he had cut up from another song. Aaron talked about how regardless of the fact that Beer uh, is a fan favorite, when they released it as a single, it got no radio play at all. Aaron talked about appreciating the fact that people still care and come out to see the band. Uh, he talked about how uh, Beer was a song where he wrote everything, including the bass line, and how he keeps song ideas uh, in his head. He figures if he can't remember it, then it wasn't catchy enough to remember. Uh, and I talked about how I've never blown into a trombone or a saxophone in my life, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> all this and much more. Stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. I gotta say to my listeners that, uh, gosh, I've known Aaron uh, for 25, God, longer than 25 years. Um, Met Aaron in line at a show. There was a ch- <laughs> a Chinese restaurant in L.A. Where the hell was that? It was called Dizzy Debbie's. Um, I have no idea. Some somebody just took me there to see. This, yeah, th- this there was a weird pheno- there was a weird phenomenon in the '90s where Chinese restaurants would hold punk shows. We played one in Seattle one time. I don't I don't know what the thing was with that, but I don't think it exists anymore. But um, yeah, I think yeah, it's like. In the 90s they would just have shows anywhere and i'm sure they were all <laughs> illegal yeah hey! yeah yeah you know have some chicken chow mein and listen to the latest ska band in southern california i was it was rolling for uh loading like oh this is a nice warehouse <laughs> they're probably not <laughs> concerts that so uh this fresh faced kid came up to me and said hey i like your band i play in a band called real big fish and there you have it that's how we met and i'm uh super oh, yeah because i had seen i had seen you play at the uh oh what's that place called showcase theater in corona showcase in corona yeah yeah i'd seen you guys a little bit before that and and you were really good i can't lie 
Well, thank you. And, and you know, I got I, I have to say that I am very thankful and stoked that you agreed to do this because um, I'm, I'm just going to out you here. Aaron, you know, Aaron doesn't really like to do interviews. And the fact that you agreed to do this, I am over the moon. So thank you very much. Um, I don't like to do interviews, but I say yes to every single one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, back in the nineties, that's how we sold records, but I don't know what, I don't know why you have to do it now. Um, yeah, I just don't understand now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, uh, my podcast revolves around, around songwriting and, uh, Aaron chose, uh, a real big fish favorite, uh, beer. And, uh, I love this song. I've always loved this song. Um, I, I never get sick of seeing you guys play this song live. The audience goes absolutely berserk when you launch into it. Typically it's a, a late in the set closer, uh, type of song. And, uh, it's just, it's fun. The chord arrangements, great. The melodies are great. Um, I love the breakdown at the end. We'll talk about all this in a second, but take us back, uh, to when you wrote it. Where, do you remember where you were at or, uh, or, or what you were doing when you wrote it? It's so weird that pe- people have always loved this song just ever since we first started. It wasn't even finished the first time we played it in one of those illegal warehouse shows. <laughs> we just, we're messing around with this new song and like people start going crazy and like, Oh, what's that one song? Ugh. Very strange. Just like, it's that magical song. I don't know. You know, sometimes you write a song and people just can't get enough of it. And, and I'm what thankful what, that we did. But anyway, yeah. I mean, when I made it up, I was just kind of messing around with playing, uh, offspring self-esteem <laughs> <laughs> which is is Thank funny Lord. because now now when you guys play that live of course you'll you, you know during the bridge breakdown at the end you'll you'll go into that for for yeah. a bit bef- before you come into the last chorus so so that was kind of the the inspiration behind it huh pretty much it was i've just been listening to uh sublime 40 ounces of freedom over and over and over and over again and i had that stuff in my head the subliminess uh-huh. and then i was just I love the offspring and that album and stuff. And I was trying to mess with that song. Maybe we could do a Scott cover of self-esteem. <laughs> Never mind. I'll make my own song that kind of sounds like sublime influenced. I don't know how these things happen. Well, no, and That's how you, it goes you, with writing songs, right? Well, you kind of answered my, my question. I always ask this question is like, what was the, the reaction? So, you know, you, and you told me, you said like when you first would start playing it and you know, back before YouTube and the, the internet, you, we, we used to go out and play songs that were half finished too. Cause it was oh, like, yeah. this is a new song and we just wrote it in our warehouse and we want the world to hear it, you know? So we'd go out and play it and you know, there'd be, it'd be missing a chorus or a bridge and that didn't matter at the time. So the minute you guys yeah. went out, minute you guys went out and started doing this tune, you, 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 you saw an immediate reaction. Yes. We did. I somewhere have a video of the show and it was like we had these horn players and they had just quit and we didn't have any horn, new horn players yet. So we did this one show without any. And like that was a new song that kind of had a guitar lick and, and didn't really need horns. So it was like, oh, let's play this song for 15 minutes. And yeah, I didn't have any lyrics or anything. I just had like the riff and we just kind of mumbling and singing some stuff. But yeah, it was kind of even then I'm like, wow, people like this. I'm going to keep working on this song. Yeah, that's a, that's an old joke. What's the curse of every ska band? Their their horn section. Um, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> you can relate. Um, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes, you should start with that one. I'll come on. I'll I'll, I'll be on yours. Um, well, what's the deal with horns? <laughs> so so now you, okay. So set it up. This was before um, because 
this this was on Turn the Radio Off. It wasn't released before. That was the it first. Was, it was. It was on the album. Everything. Was it, sucks. it was. So it was on everything. Okay, that's right. It wasn't. Yeah. Now the it was a re-recording for Turn the Radio Off, or was it just remixed? It was re-recorded. Re-recorded. Okay, which is my next question. So I couldn't find this out. Was it re-recorded for basketball? Oh, uh, no, that was the turn the radio off. That, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you wrote it. Now, where where was it in the writing process for Everything Sucks? Because um, Everything Sucks came out in 95, I believe. Yes. So did, do, you, do you remember, was it like... The 25th anniversary. That's awesome. Um, hey. Do you... Do you remember yeah. writing it pr- pr- like prior to the album, or was it like one of the last songs you wrote in the studio or something? Um, th- that was one of the earlier ones, like before. I don't know, just through '93 and '94 was kind of writing all the all the songs that were on. Uh, Everything sucks, so I don't remember exactly where when it came out, but well, I mean, you yeah, said you were just... playing it, but I, I guess when when was it? Fi- it was obviously finished when you went in to record oh, Everything it was, Sucks. It was finished sometime. In the mid ninety four, I think. Okay, and we and made a demo. We made a demo tape, which everyone. Oh no! We yeah, no. There was an old demo tape, and then there was another demo. Remember demo tapes? Of course. I, I, we used to get bag. To we used to get bags full of them. When we were on tour. They, we'd have them all over, okay. strewn all over our van. <laughs> <laughs> now, now people just send you a link on Instagram. Hey, here's my van. Check it out. It's on you know. Um, so yeah, we put out a demo tape called buy this and that was on it. I think, and I want your girlfriend a couple songs. So now, you know, we're going back a quarter century here, but like do, when you wrote it, did you, did you think that this was going to be something special or, or was it just another real big fish song at that point? I think it was just another real big fish song. Like I, I like it. I think it's good, but it's not one of my favorites. It never grabbed me the way it grabbed everybody else. Uh-huh. That's weird. Like that's always the story with the band's best song. You know, it's like we don't even like that song. We wrote right. it in five minutes. That song's <laughs> stupid. But then, nah. but that's your best song. How can you say that? But yeah, now I see it from both sides. Well, some, some sometimes when you don't overthink it or overcook an idea, there's just something about that that rawness that, that comes out that people gravitate to. You know, it's it's. A, I think it's a great song. It feels I I love playing it. It's it's fun to start it off and just I don't know. Playing so, chords, and I like playing the little solo and stuff. And so, who 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 produced uh, "Everything Sucks" that record? That was just self-produced. Studio doing, yeah, self-produced. Okay, and then Jay Rifkin, so awesome. Jay Jay <laughs> produced the version on "Turn the Radio Off." Yeah, Jay Rifkin and John Evola. That's right, and and so, yeah, let me tell you a story about that. Please do. Ready. So if you listen to the Everything Sucks version of beer, it does not have any horns on it anywhere. But if you listen to the Turn the Radio Off and all the other versions, then the little horn thing in the, the choruses comes in with... Right. That, no one ever played that on Turn the Radio Off. We came into the studio one morning and Jay Rifkin's like, hey guys, look what I did. And he had gone in with the computer editing stuff and created a horn line from another horn part in another song. And like, look, I put horns on the song. <laughs> so we were forced by a record label to put horns on a song. Can you believe it? 
Well, that's pretty time. crazy. That's pretty crazy too, because this is considering '95. I mean, Pro Tools wasn't really happening then. I mean, you had yeah, some. I'm not dig- sure what program they were using, but yeah, yeah, there was definitely digital editing editing software going yeah. on, but it wasn't. Uh, so that that's interesting. What, what were the horn players? Anybody else? Yourself included? Pissed, or did you like it initially? I think we all just went. Yeah, that's cool. And he kind of explained, like, well, you're a horn band, and this is a great song. It's probably going to be your big hit, so you're going to want those horn players playing on your big hit because you guys are a horn band. It all made sense to us. So, like, yeah, that's well, cool. Well, what's what's interesting about that is is that, I mean, you know, if you think of Real Big Fish, I mean, you're, I would say your defining song is Sellout, but I'd make an argument for beer because, you know, Sellout, I think, you know, had the more radio play as, as a hit single, but the mileage you got out of basketball for this song is just incredible. I mean, you know, you, you guys got on basketball, uh, Les and Jake got on fucking Good Burger. So I'm still pissed about that. Okay. Um, (laughs) Great movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We got the short end of the stick. Um, But uh, so like what happened because the, the, the record um, or beer had been out for a couple years when basketball was what? 98, 99. Yeah. I think it was 98. 98. So now the song or, in or it, very, very late 97. I can't say. I think okay. 98. <laughs> right. So, but so the song, you know, the sign, I knew it was late nineties. The song had been around in some form or another for like three, three years. It had been on turn of the radio off for at least two years. And then the movie comes out. Do you remember like seeing the difference in playing that song from when the movie hit? Like when you went to play live? Well, that, not really. I mean, everybody just kind of went crazy for that one always. Okay. And I'm not sure if if Take On Me was a single first or not, but uh, we did try to release beer as a single, and it just didn't catch on. We couldn't believe it. Like, everyone loves that song. Everyone goes crazy for it. We released it as a single. Nothing. No radio station would play it. No one cared. Right. And and isn't that strange? And and the yeah. we've we've had it happen the opposite way too, where songs like connect on a uh, on a record, but then you go play it live and it doesn't translate. Or people are always ask for a certain yeah. song and, and you go play it and it just gets like crickets. You can't get a reaction out of it. Oh, it's yeah, weird. there's so, so many songs like that. It's like, oh you guys need to play this song and you hear it so much and then you finally do and just stares. Yeah. Blank, yeah. Blank faces, confused. So, <laughs> so you know. Going back to to that time, and this is a hard question to answer because I get asked this. And like, did you ever think that twenty five years later you'd be traveling the world playing this song and looking out? And you know, I mean, we've done dozens of tours with you guys. I mean, I see you all over the world. We've played in Japan, Australia, uh, all over England, uh, Europe, uh, uh, the states, Canada. and I look out and people are going absolutely nuts when you guys play the song. Did, was there any thought back then of like, you know, uh, it's 1998. We beer is one of our, you know, go-tos and we play it every show and, and people love it. And, and 25 years later, I'm still going to be playing this damn thing. No, I, I, back then, you know, you're, we we're so young. I couldn't even have imagined what being 30 would be like, you know, I didn't had no idea. I'd be 45 playing these songs and people going crazy and still dancing to them. It's so right now, all these years later. Yeah. Still doing this. So still come to see us and they still want to hear these songs. It's amazing. 
No, it, it's, so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, I, I sometimes pinch myself. I, there's, I don't know why the, the older I get, I'll be on like the tour bus. So, you know, I'll wake up at like seven in the morning and I'll like, my eyes will like, you know, be rubbing the, the sleep out of and be like, wait, where are we today? Wait, we're in St. Louis. Like, wait a second. People still want to see my band play. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I don't say yeah. that in, in a self-deprecating way. It's just, you know, you still, still live in the dream after all these years. It's really, really cool. You know, I think I appreciate it so much more than ever. Just what, what we have. Oh just, man. I, I've, I've said that. <laughs> I've oh said God. that to so yeah, I've said that to so many people lately. They asked me, you I know, think like, about it. Like there's kids in high school now who be listening to Real Big Fish. When I was in high school, I was listening to Led Zeppelin. That was the music of 20 years ago. Now, <laughs> you know what didn't, I mean? it, didn't it seem ancient? I'm playing classic rock and these kids are coming to see these shows. It's so strange. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing though. Um so <laughs> yeah, I I think about that a lot too and I just like it trips me out. Um so have you guys played beer at every show since you wrote it? Or has it ever been left off a real big fish set? I mean, I'm sure there's been a, one or two times. That's one we usually play that one every time. But I mean, we did some, a couple festivals. I remember we played the, what's that festival in Florida? West Palm Beach. Uh, the Buzz Bake Sale. Oh, Buzz Bake Sale. Of course. Yes. Yeah. You know, we had like a half hour set and we got cut off, so we didn't get to play beer or take on me. And which is weird. Matt Wong sitting me down. He's like, We gotta play those two songs every time. People love those. I'm like, Yeah, I know, man. We got cut off. <laughs> <laughs> so did you very did rarely you, do we ever not play those. Did you write this song completely top to bottom by yourself, or do you remember having help with anybody in the band? Did you did you write all the lyrics and the music? Yeah, I mean this is one that I wrote everything. I even wrote the bass line to this one. No so, kidding. Yeah. Cool. You and, don't and, have a lot of songs that are minor, so I think Matt Wong was like, "What do I play in a minor, this minor key?" Like, oh, let's play like something like this. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So now you you said that, and this is interesting. I haven't really touched on this with anybody on, on the show. You said that, like, you know, you heard this Offspring uh, chord progression, and you kind of came up with your own take on it. Do you tend to find, and 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 this, you know, songwriters do this. I I am I don't want to say guilty of it. That's a bad word. It's not like it's a rip off. It's just I get you get inspired by stuff. Do you do you yeah. still get inspired by like? Today, when you're writing, like you get inspired by something, maybe you hear something on the radio or you hear something new and you're like, that's cool. Like, I want to like form a song around it or kind of how, how do you write these days? Do you just like you're sitting around and you're strumming an acoustic and an idea comes or, or take us through the process? Called, of where... It's called creative borrowing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. Yeah, me too. I like that. One. Yeah, I'm, that's what I've always done is just kind of. A lot of songs will start out as I'm just messing around trying to figure out some other song I like. Like, oh, that's a cool song. I can't figure it out. Oh, I made my own. Cool. Okay. Okay. Or, or, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not the kind of guy who sits around noodling on a guitar all day. I don't even have a guitar in my house right now. You don't. That Well, that's what I was going to ask. So do you, I don't, do you ever have like writing sessions or do you, no, I just kind of wait for ideas to pop into my head or, whatever okay okay so when all these little fragments of ideas until they form a whole song and then then i pull out the guitar and go let's see well yeah 
And well, no, and, and everyone's different about that. That's why I always ask. So like, do you like get into like, you're getting ready to do like, okay, we're, we're going to do a new record in November and it's like August time. Like, do you go into like your iPhone and like start, you know, doing voice memos of, of riffs and ideas or how, how do you, how do you do the process? Like I have a home studio, so I, I like, I do demos and I'll start sending them around to the band and, you know, and sometimes it'll just be a riff or sometimes it's a complete song with everything, you know, lyrics and different things or, you know, how do you do it? Do you just like have everything in your head and you go into the band and rehearse or do you, do you demo them out beforehand? I just, I just keep, like I said, I keep these little song fragments in my head. I don't, so every once in a while I'll write down a lyric or something or I'll record an idea. Cause like, that's really cool. <laughs> most times I don't even go back to those. I just figure like if I can't remember it, then it's not catchy enough or it's not good enough in right. the first place. So it's really weird. I'll, I'll have these songs, like the songs on the new album, life sucks. Let's dance. Like I've been humming those songs for years. Some of them. And it's so weird to finally go in the studio and be like, okay, guys, let's play. Here's how my song goes, because I've known it for years. And it's so weird getting it out of your head and into the world. Right. And, and, and every band's different in that respect. So like yeah. when you, when you get it on the floor and, and, you know, you're in the cutting room with the band and you're, and you're rehearsing, um, does it, at this point in your career, cause I mean, obviously you've been doing this long enough, you know how to write a song. Do you, do you, uh, uh, value the input and do you look for it or is, or is the song pretty much done in your, in your head and you're just kind of everyone's playing, playing the song, how you hear it? Uh, it always comes out a little different. Once it gets filtered through other people, and I'm happy to hear ideas and like maybe we could try this. I'm, I'm glad to try things. Cause I don't know. Right. I don't. I don't think it would be as good if it just came out of my head exactly as I imagined. It. I've always marveled at that. That guys that can do it. You know, you hear uh, <clears throat> of certain you know artists. They they don't want a producer. They just want to do everything themselves. And yeah. um, you know, I've always kind of just personally speaking felt like. Um, I like other people to hear my songs, you know, it's definitely the guys in my band and, and I welcome working with a producer because I've always felt like some of my best songs were, 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 you know, got to their best potential because other people were able to interject something, you know, sometimes you get too close to your own songs. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You, you just don't see, you, you love it. Like, Oh, this is my baby. Oh, and it, even if it's just <laughs> ugly and it's terrible, you, know, <laughs> you can't see it. Cause like, I made this. It's so precious. So yeah, it's good to get that outside perspective on it. Yeah. I mean, I can uh, probably count on one hand how many times I've, you know, done something and in in it's gotten changed to where I go, I go back and go, you know what? The band, the band was wrong. You know, that, this should have been how, how I had it envisioned, but 90, you know, 8.9% of the time it's, you know what I, I, I can go back and listen to a demo and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't double the chorus at the end when I thought that was perfect back then. What the hell was I thinking? You know? And it's because yes. you're too you're too close to it. Yeah. It's the times that I got my way and like everybody just did exactly what I said. It's like, Oh, that wasn't that good of an idea. Jeez. Uh -huh. Maybe I should have <laughs> ha had somebody else help with that horn line there or something. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. And I think, Sometimes, you know. I think it's gotten easier. Was it, so, you know, back when you were doing like turn the radio off, was your first time working with a producer? Were you ever like, so protective of your songs or bummed out that someone was trying to trying to change your art, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, after, yeah, after I just said, I like to hear outside perspectives and people's opinions at the same time, I'm like, why is this guy telling me what to do? I can't. <laughs> yeah. I went through the same stuff too. Yeah. You do get really precious with it. 
Yeah, you do. And um, it was especially weird starting to work with producers, producers, and and going into real recording studios. What is happening? Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> well, and of course, you know. But I learned we, a lot, and it was it was good. Yeah, and of, and of course, our bands have been around long enough to where we were recording. I mean, we went we went through different stages. I mean, especially back then, our first couple of records, it was like you did take after take of vocals or, or what have you, because there was no yeah. computer, there was no computers to fix it, which <laughs> is amazing to think now because gosh, the technology, it's just, um, you know, thinking, so I mean, so, yeah, some of those records took us forever to do just because we were going to go into tape versus, you know, going digital. Um, just a, di- do you a have, different, do you remember seeing anybody like actually cut the tape? And oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, and so for our, our, I was like, for, what are you doing? <laughs> for our ah. listeners, for our listeners out there, you know, uh, f- from the earliest recordings ever made uh, up to, you know, the Beatles, Elvis, uh, Rolling Stones, anybody, Led Zeppelin, they would record to two inch tape. And what that meant was it was, you know, two inches wide. It was this tape that went on these big reels. I'm sure you've seen the machines in the movies and, and what have you. And uh, basically, if you wanted things to line up, if you wanted the drums to be perfect or, you know, this vocal to come here now you just you just you know with a couple clicks of the mouse you can fix all that well it was actually what aaron was talking about was you'd go in with a razor blade and you would actually you know take the machine right to the bar you know right to the measure of the song and you would cut the tape and then you would cut a piece out to 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 make the music essentially in time and, and just I, like scotch tape and tape it right back together, whatever. It yeah, would be. you'd take yeah with scotch tape. You tape it, tape tape the thing back together, and there it would go around the reel again and be spinning. And I remember when we were doing uh, our Borders and Boundaries record in two thousand. Um, our producer was it was the first time we ever saw anybody cut tape, and uh, because we had done Hello Rock View on Pro Tools. Hmm. And we came back to do this record and our, the producer at the time was like, I don't believe he called it slow tools. I don't believe in that crap. Cause you know, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of producers were, were either afraid of it or kind of sitting on the fence about pro tools at that point. And yeah. uh, so we cut that record and it took us two months and you couldn't even see the control room window. You couldn't even see, uh, you know, out into the, to the main room where you tracked, uh, because there was just tape covering the whole window and it was like a, a eight by <laughs> six. It was, it was a big window. Um, <laughs> so All little pieces of your song that you just recorded. Yeah. Just to think yeah, back to this part and that part. So to crazy. think back to, to going through that tedious process. Thank, thank goodness that's over. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah, I kind of like, Nowadays, where you just kind of have complete control over it, and he's like, "Okay, that part was perfect. Let's paste it over here." Nice, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, going back to like, you, know, you guys started out in just, and this is testament to, to to being a great band. I mean, and well, writing great songs. You guys were in a different pool than Less Than Jake was. I mean, we were in in Florida in the early '90s. I mean, there was. It was us and like two or three other bands that were quote unquote ska punk. And I mean, yeah. here you are in Southern California where ska punk kind of, you know, uh, hotbed. Yeah. I mean, it, that was, if you think, I mean, I can't tell you if I had a dollar for every time, uh, uh, you know, someone said, oh, you guys are from California. I mean, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, we got lumped into that scene because we had, you know, the sound and what have you. But um, you guys were what, definitely more like a California band than a, quote unquote east coast band you know we definitely yeah i mean we weren't from salt lake city or we weren't from wherever we it was definitely had a we kind of got pigeonholed with the sound which is fine but like what was that like because i know what it was like in florida for us we stood out like a sore thumb so like we got attention off the bat because we were different like what was that like trying to navigate like, through that as a 
ska punk band playing with yeah. other kinds of bands or in the yeah ska- yeah like how you you know i mean i can i could sit here right now and rattle off like 30 bands just off the top of my head from the from the scene you guys you know were spawned out of back in the 90s yeah. but what i mean i guess you guys were you, you probably didn't think about it at the time you were just correct me if i'm wrong just the next show went to the next show you were playing, but do you remember like being like, holy crap, like how are we going to stand out amongst so much of the same? I don't know. Er- early on, like 92, three earlier, it, it was a lot of more like the two tone band, ska bands and you know serious ska bands. And they were kind of frowned upon the ska punk stuff. But then more and more of those bands started coming along and we kind of had our own little scene going. Mm-hmm. And that was, I don't know, it wasn't so much about competition or like, how are we going to stand out so much as just like, we all played in each other's bands. I mean, I played trombone in like five bands. and <laughs> So wait a second, you played we trombone? Just, not very well, but in those days, if you could make a noise. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, how the hell long have I known you for? I've never ever <laughs> known that you played trombone, which um, well, is kind of. a long time ago and I don't really pick it up anymore. Ah, which, <laughs> Which kind of playing a few bands. Okay. Um, Well, next time we're on the road, I'm going to make you play trombone. I have to hear this because I haven't played in 10 years, at least. You want to hear something ridiculous? Yeah. (laughs) I've, I have never, because, you know, you have to understand, and I'll let the listeners know, you know, horns are a very personal instrument. You have a mouthpiece on the horn that you're basically French kissing for an hour (laughs) and spitting into and inhaling spit and dirt and whatever else. Right. So I, I've been in a band with horn players now for 28 years. I have never blown into a trombone or a saxophone in my life. Really? <laughs> no, <laughs> I never have. I wouldn't. I, I'm almost afraid. Like I, picked it up and said, hey, never make a sound in this thing. No, I mean, I've played drums poorly. I've played the bass poorly. I've played, you know, the piano poorly. But no, I have never, uh, never picked up a horn and tried to blow into it. Because again, <laughs> hey, hey, buddy, let me borrow your horn. And I, you know, I'm going to stick my tongue in it. Like, you're just not going to do that. So it's a very personal instrument. Like, if, if I ever said, hey, Aaron, can I play your guitar? You'd be like, sure, here's my guitar. You know, unless I, you know, just, you know, went to the bathroom, and didn't wash my hands or something. You know. If you're like, hey, can I borrow your penis pump? I'd be like, no. That's <laughs> Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits, to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, Check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. 
Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. Thank you for injecting some humor into this. I appreciate it. Thank you. I thought I was going to be the one I had to do that. My cock ring? No, thank you. <laughs> Personal. Who says you're not funny, Aaron? Huh? Jeez. Everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so now we did our first tour and it wasn't long after that. I, I, I top of the episode, I was talking about uh, first meeting you. We went out on our first run in June of '95. We did 48 shows in 50 days. What uh, was what was your first trip out of California? When when did you guys first start think touring? That's when I first saw you guys playing on that it, tour. Yeah, it, I don't think it was the first tour because we didn't meet. We I remember Richard and Stephanie inter- ninety six. Yeah, Richard and Stephanie from Drive Through had entered. Yeah, it was early ninety six because yeah. they yeah. had they had the magazine sideshow out at that point and the videos that they would put out. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was only a short five or six months after that first initial tour. Um, yeah. th- that I had met you. Um, so was it that was it around that time? Do you remember? Do you remember your first tour outside of California? Yeah, we did our the first time we ever like went out of state and like got in the van and stayed in hotels and stuff. That was I think it was ninety four. It was only probably a week, and we went to Utah, uh, Nevada. Where we go? Parts of California. I don't know, not very far away, but it was pretty crazy for us. And a lot of our horn players were under eighteen, so the guy who was kind of the manager of the band was like, "We can't take them out of state." We got. <laughs> That's so, that's so that's so funny we left half the horn section at home we just had a sax player and a trombone only one sax and one trombone can you imagine and well i well i can yeah because that's that's our band yeah um so but we toured with a band called meal ticket i don't know if you remember them i absolutely had a a, a lady singer i remember meal ticket well yes yeah. we played i want to say meal ticket was on that show at dizzy debbie's um yeah yeah um, and we were on a compilation with them. Uh, I, I can see it in my head. I mean, that was another big thing was was compilations. Do you, do you, oh, do you guys yeah. do you guys remember being on those? And and um, I touched on this in another episode. Compilations were great because you know you knew like oh we're gonna go into you know uh, you know Columbus Ohio tonight and that dude put out this comp with Johnny Quest on it or you know whatever song and like we knew that when we got there that that we would have fans which yeah, it was kind of like having a having a single released in a way it, like it really was the if the compilation got big and they're like oh I know that song from the comp it really was because again you know nobody we we weren't at the click of a mouse or the click of a of a smartphone. We weren't at that disposal where you could be like, hey, I'm gonna check out this band that's playing, you know, the, the Chinese restaurant yeah. down the road. It was like, I'm just gonna go check out this band and and a lot of times you'd be like, Oh yeah, that's that band on that comp. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times bands would roll through Gainesville and I only knew one song of theirs, but I loved it. It would be on, you know, this fat records comp or a lookout records yeah. comp. And then you'd go see them and it'd be like, Holy shit, you know, like it was it was cool. Yeah, the we were on the Misfits of Ska, the Mike Park mm-hmm. compilation, and that was the first time we ever got fan mail because he was, it was it was a cool idea. He put all the band's contact information. Yeah, from each that, band in 
That's, ama- that's amazing we- you, you say that because The Misfits of Ska, that was one of the first big compilations that we were on. And that, yeah. first, that first U.S. tour, we went to the Metro uh, in Chicago, which I believe the Metro holds about, I think it's 1,100 people, the capacity. Wonderful venue, one of my yeah. favorites in the world. Yeah, and uh, that first tour, it was a Ska fest. It was like us, Suicide Machines, MU330, Bruce Lee Band, and... Uh, I, it was sold out. That was the first U.S. tour. And we were just, I mean, you know, first U.S. tour, there'd be some nights, there'd be 100 kids there and it'd be going off. And those are usually the places that we had a song on a comp or something. But, you know, there was nights it was, you know, us playing to the bartender and the door guy and like, you know, one weird kid with, with purple hair and a bone through his nose or something. You know, it was like. <laughs> the one kid in town had heard of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like we get to the, Never and it's knew. like this Sorry. sold this sold out show at the Metro. We're like, holy crap, 1,100 people. It's like we might as well have been playing to a stadium, right? And uh, yeah. That we couldn't play the show. The, there was a brownout, blackout. The the power had went out uh, on oh. the city. Yeah, the metro is not too far from Wrigley Field. That whole area went down, and uh, police oh, came. Yeah. Police came in, kicked everybody out. We couldn't couldn't do the show. I remember selling CDs out of the back of our van, our, our Pezcore album, and fans yeah. buying them. And and um, but I just remember, and the reason I, I brought that up is I just remember the excitement from that time i mean and then of course a lot of it was because of the yeah. first you know because it was the first oh my god we're playing metro or we're playing here or our songs on a comp or um you know those those first you can't ever really get back um which which i want to ask do you do you remember the first time you ever heard your, yourself on the radio real big fish um yeah i think it, i think actually tazy phillips played us on the scott parade that was the first time we were on the radio and and that was the impetus for the record, the name, the turn the radio off. You're like, I got to turn this off, right? <laughs> <laughs> like this is terrible. This is terrible. So it was on Tazy's show, and we we all we all know Tazy uh, Tazy Phillips. Oh, yeah. Um. So okay, a little bit. No disrespect to Tazy, but let's say let, let's talk like commercial radio, like big time. Like the first time you heard yourself on K Rock, was it was it sellout? Uh, it was everything sucks. Actually, they played really? it on like the, the local band show. Because that was our first single from Turn the Radio Off. So this was before Sellout was released as a single. And and what was that like? Do you remember? I just remember it's this is so weird. What is this song doesn't belong on there? It sounds so strange. (laughs) (laughs) No, because no, because I I recently had doing on there. That's not right. (laughs) I recently had John Feldman on, and John was telling me how. You know, he had had this uphill climb of, of you know, uh, doing different things. And finally, yeah. Gold, Goldfinger finally got a record deal. And he had had another band with a deal and blah, blah, blah. And long story short, you know, John was just like telling the story of how he like had to pull off the side of the road and like just had a moment he heard here in your bedroom. And it's like, oh, my God, my song is like, because, you know, we were talking about it. And you can attest to this. K-Rock was like the, especially in the 90s, it was like the biggest thing out there. I mean, if you oh, got yeah. if you got played on K-Rock, I mean, you had to have felt that you know i talked about basketball a little bit ago with beer but like when your song started getting played on k-rock especially sellout i mean your shows had to go from you know whatever 600 to like it, it just had to it had to blow up right yeah that was really exciting time it was just yeah k-rock added it and then all the other stations followed and just playing it more and more and yeah the shows got bigger and bigger and just so much excitement yeah, no, it's it, it opening up, you know, in small half filled clubs with let's go bowling to headlining and playing thousands of people. It's pretty cool. Right, <laughs> right. And um, very exciting just to watch it build and build and build like that. So do you remember when Mojo, when 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 you got the call or, or about the deal, like when they wanted to sign you? 
Yeah, I I guess John Feldman had seen us play at a Halloween show, a Scalloween show. <laughs> with the, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I had like been mouthing off to the sound man because he was trying to cut our set, and I was like, "Fuck you! I'm gonna play one more song. I don't give a shit." <laughs> As we used to do. <laughs> I, of course. <laughs> so I guess he thought that was really cool, and he brought us to the attention of Mojo. And at the time, we just started getting like deals you know where you you make your own cd and you find and distributors call you and like we want to buy a hundred of your cds to sell in chicago you know what i mean right so i thought it was one of those or like a record store like i'm so and so from mojo records give me a call back like oh another record store cool (laughs) that's like well i mean because mojo at the time really wasn't (laughs) like a name yet i mean you you and release goldfinger was the first band that they put out yeah, I mean, you think of Mojo Records, it was you and Goldfinger. It was really nobody else that I can even remember. I mean, you know, so... Gophers yeah, were on it. Cherry Poppin' Daddies? Well, yeah, but I'm saying at the time. Oh, I later. Mean, yeah, 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 later. So, um, which is interesting because I, I kind of can relate a little bit. Um, so, They're a brand new uh, label, so that's that was good for us because they were really excited. Right. About- well, we had, we had, we had sent... We it. had sent demo tapes and stuff off to Fat Records, Epitaph. Um, remember getting a letter back from Fat Mike being like, just like something just, I mean, it was really just like straight to the point, like, no. <laughs> you know, Epitaph never wrote us back. All these labels. And um, I was delivering pizzas uh, in Gainesville. And I came home one day and uh, uh, on the answering machine, the little lights blinking and I hit it and it's like, uh, yeah, I'm looking for somebody from less than Jake. Uh, I'm, uh, my name is Craig. I'm from uh, Capitol records. And I'm like, oh, who's, who's, who's yanking my leg here. And they left a number and, uh, and we called it and it was just like, it was crazy because really Capitol records. Holy shit. Well, it was so, you know, because for us, like we had this punk cred we wanted to keep. Yeah, it was like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Cause the nineties, like nobody cares what label you're on now. K- kids would laugh at us. Like you used to care what label you're on. Like nobody, <laughs> Oh, you're a sellout. Like, I mean, no one cared. I mean, you guys wrote a song about it. I mean, (laughs) you know, like nobody, I mean, even our song, Johnny Quest thinks we're sellouts. That was, uh, that was from uh, somebody in the architecture department at uh, the university of Florida. Uh, My friend was an architecture major and he's like, we were starting to get popular in Gainesville and someone had written less than Jake sucks or less than Jake or sellouts. And it was signed Johnny quest, which (laughs) Johnny quest was like a cartoon. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe he he called himself Johnny quest, this guy or something. And uh, that's how that song was born out. It was like, there was just a stigma. Like if you signed to a major, blah, blah, blah. So we were like, well, no other label wants to sign us. That's a big indie. So like, okay, we'll, we'll entertain this idea. And uh, it ended up working out. We did a couple records with them, but uh, it was just such a, <laughs> such different times, you know, <laughs> Isn't it funny? How back then you're like, you, the last, you did not want to be called a sellout. Oh my God. But now everyone refers to themselves as a brand. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, expanding my brand. Yeah. I had, yeah. I had, you got a Facebook yeah. page. That's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a Facebook. I guess they're making a lot of money. You got a Facebook page and a, and a podcast. You run out, of, you run out of your bedroom. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I. But you guys though, and I, and, and even you know Goldfinger at the time signed to Mojo. Even though know, you had a distribution through Universal, um, there was a lot of labels that kind of hid behind that. It's like, oh, we're an indie. Well, well no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you know that you had to do that because again, there was this this stigma of like, I can't believe you signed to a major. It was such a big thing. Which looking back now, it's so it's so funny. But um, yeah, it's 
<laughs> anyways, man, um, I, we're, we're about out, uh, out of time here. I just wanted to, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Number one, My pleasure. Um, number two, I, uh, just want to tell you how much I love you and your band. I love the song beer. I think it's amazing. Um, I still, like I said, I, how many times have I seen you guys play and I, you'll see me, I, I like to go out and, uh, sing the, sing the woe at the end of this day. I'll, I'll make a little cameo <laughs> and come out and sing on, on, on your guys stage. And I, and I don't do it for any other reason that, that I just, I love you guys in the song. And every um, time you do it, it scares the shit out of me. Cause you come out of nowhere. <laughs> grab the microphone. Like, oh, hey, manhandle, manhandle you a little bit. Um, so tell the listeners what's going on with you, man. You got anything you'd like to like to plug or talk about that's going on with, with you. Uh, we have no, new music coming out we have no tours planned we have no merchandise to sell you all good stuff all good stuff okay that's about it (laughs) you're just just hanging okay is is there a new is is there a new fish record on the horizon have you thought about writing a new one yet uh i feel like we just put out the last one so yeah okay i need at least four or five years between each one i think you put the last one out that was december 2018 am i right yeah yeah see and I didn't even research yeah. that, dude. That's from that's that's recall. That's that's rock and roll recall right there. In history, when a real big fish record comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's all you got, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. You don't have anything else you want to plug? You want to we want to talk about Walter? Walter's uh, Aaron Aaron and his wife's dog. Well, we, have about we have a TikTok account now, so come. And do watch you really? Yeah. What do you, What are you doing with that? I uh, just put like clips of videos and. Thanks. I don't know. Is it under your fun. name? It's Real Big Fish. Real Big Fish. Well, go follow Real Big Fish on TikTok and all the other socials. They're out there. They're easy to find. And uh, yeah, um, Aaron, thank you very much for giving me your time. And I really appreciate it. My pleasure, sir. All right, buddy. Tell your wife Sorry. I said. Tell your wife I said hello. She's been listening this whole time. Hi, Krista. So is Walter. How are you? Walter, sing it. Sing it, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, there he goes. That's a beautiful voice. That's going to start the episode off right there. Yeah, he, uh, he, he actually sings better than Matt Wong used to. Don't print that. Don't print that. Matt Wong had a beautiful falsetto voice. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, guys, you, you take care. I love you both. Love you, Chris. <laughs> bye. All right. All right, bye, guys. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. 
Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know, where each week I will preview a select band of my choice, tell you a little bit about the band, where they're from, where to find their music, and how to find them on social media. It's simple, really. If you'd like your band to be previewed on Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. Again, that's bandyoumightnotknow, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, and all I ask for is a good quality recording of a song uh, that you feel best represents your band. And uh, going a little out of the norm this week, uh, <laughs> I I, I want this uh, this segment to strictly be for original uh, band content, no cover bands. Uh, but I made an exception this week. Uh, this week's featured band is called Wutton Tarnation. That's W-U-T-T-I-N, uh, Tarnation, T-A-R-N-A-T-I-O-N. And uh, I saw a couple YouTube videos of these guys. Uh, uh, one of their members is Scott Reynolds from the band All, uh, a dear friend of mine. And uh, they do cover songs true to form. And I was like, wow, these guys are really cool. Uh, they don't try to punk them up or anything. And uh, anyhow, they reached out to me to sing on a track. And uh, I, I agreed because it was just it was just a lot of fun. And uh, anyways, we got Matt Morris uh, on the drums, Brad Edwards on guitar. Uh, they hail from Texas. Uh, and uh, Greg Gleason on bass from Mesa, Arizona. Davi Pacotti on guitar from Porto Alegre, Brazil. And the aforementioned Scott Reynolds on backing vocals on this track. And uh, yours truly on lead vocals. Uh, you can find What in Tarnation on Facebook. They they have a group there um, on Instagram at What in Tarnation Band, um, and you can uh, f- uh, find all their stuff on YouTube under What in Tarnation, uh, including this song. Here's a snippet of our take uh, on the Cars hit "Magic." Summer, it turns me upside down. A summer, summer, summer. It's like a merry-go-round I see you under the midnight All shackles and bows The high shoes The Rap with Chris and Chris So one thing I was thinking about while you were interviewing Aaron is the fact that, you know, I've liked Real Big Fish for a very long time. Fortunately, I've got to tour with Real Big Fish and they are an amazing live band and they have a ton of great songs, but I've never really thought about this till now. And I think this is a recent development, like in my music taste, but I think beer is my favorite Real Big Fish song. There's something about that song that sounds a little more timeless than a lot of other Real Big Fish songs. Not not saying the rest of the Real Big Fish songs aren't great. I just think that this is my favorite Real Big Fish song. Yeah, you know, I can't I can't argue with that. I think there's, there's some something to be said about the fact that they close each of their shows with it. It's just uh you know, it's a it's a great song to to leave the building uh, and have that still humming in your head as you go to get in your car in the parking lot and leave the venue. <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah. There's some there's definitely something just catchy and and I kind of agree with you. I I never uh, would would have said this was uh, you know one of my favorite songs uh, years ago, maybe from them, and uh, now it is. You know, just from from doing so many shows with them over the years and hearing the song over and over, and uh, just the the crowd response that it gets. It's just. When they launch into it, the, the place goes goes nuts. And I think it's relatable, too. I mean, not everybody drinks, so I guess it's probably not that relatable to straight-edge people or, or whatever. But for the most part, who hasn't uh, been going through something and then drank a lot and been that been that friend that, t- that your friends had to like you know pick up off the floor and and do whatever i mean i feel like most people have been there so it's kind of like 
brings up that feeling. I mean, for me, it makes me feel like, okay, everybody's been there. And even if you're embarrassed about it, it's okay. It, it happens, you know? And uh, I think that's part of the allure of the song too. I mean, sure. It's a catchy song. I love the lead. I love the woohoo's. <laughs> like it's just all that stuff. It's just so good. Such a good chorus. I uh, have so many good memories to it. And I, I think it's one of those songs where the lyrical content as well uh, is very relatable to people. Yeah, you know, and I didn't have to, uh, y- you know, yank uh, Aaron's toenails out with a rusty pair of pliers to get him to pick this song. He just, he just went, "I want to go with beer." I was like, "All right," you know, um, yeah. which was, which was great because, uh, you know, this this is one of their their most popular songs, and we, you know, I knew that the listeners would uh, would want to know about it, and I was also very thankful uh, that that Aaron even agreed uh, <laughs> to be yeah. on the show. <laughs> he is about as anti rock star as you get, and reserved. Uh, if you've never met. Aaron, um, you know, or or if you just met him on the street, you would never uh, imagine that he's in a a world renowned uh, popular ska band that, uh, you know, travels the world and plays to thousands of people. Uh, Just very reserved. When we're out on the road with him, he has all the other guys in his band do the interviews. He, He just doesn't like doing it. Um, and, uh, you know, I had texted him and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, really, really stay on him about, about this. And uh, he, he texted me almost immediately back and said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I was like, what? Um, so I, I was <laughs> Dude, excited about that. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because honestly, it's like when you're in a band and especially, especially if you're a front man of a band, it's almost like you're expected to also be like a PR person for the band. And, and a lot of people that write songs that are musicians aren't, you, you aren't necessarily that, <laughs> you know, and, and fortunately you're, you're good at it, man. I mean, you have this podcast and you've always, you, you, you've always been good at that. And some people are naturally good at that, but some people aren't. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean, that doesn't uh, mean it's something bad about them. No, you know? it's just like the, the old type A type B personality and some people, you know, and there, there was, you know, years ago I would hear about publicists or, or managers of like, oh, the artist doesn't give an interview. I'm like, well, how pompous and blah, blah, blah are they? And now I totally get it. I mean, if you're not that person, um, you know, and I can relate kind of on a level, you know, like I, I can get out and play to, you know, 20,000 people at a festival and have not one iota of fear entering that stage. I'm just kind of pumped up, want to play. I'm excited. But if you told me I had to go, uh, down the road and give a speech to 30 people at a university or something, I, I, you know, I'd be like, Whoa, I don't, I don't have my band behind me. And, and exactly, what, you know, <laughs> it's dude. Kind of- I was just thinking that same exact thing. It's like when we're in our element, I'm, I'm the same way. Like when I'm up on a stage and I'm with my band, I say the stupidest shit and like, I and have no problem talking to a room of a, it could be a thousand people in that room. I have no problem talking, but yeah, take me out of my element and, and not surrounded by my bandmates and people that like my band and put me, I think back, like if I had to give a speech in front of like a college class or something when, when I was in college, like, and I am nervous and out of my element and I don't want to do that at all. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, it's a weird, uh, that's a weird thing, man, for sure. You think it would translate to, to everywhere, but it really doesn't. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, this band though, I mean, real, real big fish, um, you know, we had certainly, you know, crossed paths with them over the years, but uh, it was the summer of 2007. Uh, we started this uh, thing together called the shout it loud tour. And, uh, we went out with real big fish that summer 
And uh, that's when we became like one family with those guys. And uh, since then, we've, we've toured together almost every year, been all over the world. Um, and, uh, you know, if, uh, if if Less Than Jake is good for 800 tickets in, in Omaha on a Thursday night and Real Big Fish is good for that, you'd, you'd, you'd surmise, okay, there's going to be 15, 1600 people there. And it's like, no, there's 2,500. It just, it, it, it's like one plus one equals three with those guys. Uh, fans come out in droves. Uh, it's like a, a timepiece from the 90s, you know, where, where that, that nostalgia thing where they want to come and relive a night with two of their favorite bands. And we just love, love touring with those guys. It's so much fun. I mean, when I think, I mean, from my perspective, at least, uh, you, you two are, I mean, I guess you, you two and Mighty Mighty Boston's are, are the, 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 the most, uh, well-known and most, I mean, had the most influence on me as a kid, uh, bands from that third wave of ska. When I think third wave of ska, it's less than Jake, real big fish, Boston's, I mean, I kind of throw suicide machines in there that they were more like a little bit more punk rock, but like, yeah, that, that's that. So it makes sense, man. And and, and it's awesome that you guys tour together. Like that's an yeah. amazing show. And, um, you know, the, the other thing that uh, I don't think we touched on this in the episode, I just got to thinking you jogged a memory was just the, you know, you know, coming up with them in the nineties and running in the same circles. Uh, I remember we, Capitol records, uh, wanted to release Johnny quest thinks for sellout, uh, as, as a single. And, uh, we're like, we can't do that real big fish. You know, they're already at radio with a song called sellout. So they beat us to the punch, damn it. But, uh, <laughs> there was that, that we, I don't want to say competition, but there was that weird thing that like, you know, you used to think about, oh, we can't do that. This band has that, that you necessarily don't, don't, don't think about today. Right. So once again, I want to thank my friend Aaron Barrett from Real Big Fish uh, for making some time for me. Like I said, I uh, was very surprised that uh, he was willing to grant me an interview. I uh, I feel special. So th- so thank you, Aaron. And uh, keep those custom songs and animation uh, uh, requests coming. Uh, Chris and I uh, uh, have been busy. So thank you. Chris has been drawn up a storm. His hands my been hand hurts. Up. His hand hurts. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've been I've been writing a lot of songs and jingles for for you, your business, for your brand. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, for more information on that, uh, you can uh, email me at kristamakes at gmail.com. Uh, to see some of our work, you can go to kristamakes.com. Uh, That'll redirect you to the YouTube page where you can see uh, Chris's animations and, and uh, some of my custom songs. Um, and, uh, you know, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, uh, join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. Uh, it's super easy to join. All you have to do is uh, uh, submit who you'd like to see. Uh, on the show and uh, then you'll be in the group it's a lot of fun it's been very interactive Um, yeah so uh, once again thanks to everybody out there for listening and we'll see you next week anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect define an opportunity imagine talking to millions of people across the u.s like i am now identify a problem creating an audio ad is time consuming Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of... 
Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.